0: As I said, we are uh, week two in this series called Songs for uh, the Journey. And this is a series looking at Psalms 120 through 134. And here's uh, kind of the big idea or the context um, in case you missed uh, last week or even if you were here and you um, got a chance to hear it. But just to refresh our memory, these were particular psalms or really songs that the people of God, the Israelites, they would actually sing these. And so you imagine a group of people setting out on this road trip several times a year. They would journey from wherever they happened to be to Jerusalem uh, to be there uh, to worship God for various feasts and festivals that the Lord would call them to. And as they traveled, in the same way you might compile a playlist, all right, they would put these together. And historically, like down through the ages, the groups would travel and they would sing this. And sometimes it was like a call and response and other times just the whole group. And it was a way to orient their thinking, their affections. When the journey got tough, it was this reminder of like, yes, but we are journeying to Zion. We are going to God's city. We are going to be in the temple. We are gonna be gathered with God's people from all around the surrounding areas. And so there was this picture of what lay ahead that helped them in this particular journey. And so the idea here is that they were pilgrims on a journey. And though we're not in the spot right now of this journey to Jerusalem, the reality is we are on this journey as we await the new Jerusalem that will come down out of heaven when Jesus will set everything right, when all the sad things will come untrue, you know, that will no longer be part of this reality. They'll all be undone. Every tear will be wiped away. And we too, like the folks here in the Psalms that we're going to be reading over these, these few weeks and studying together, we need that reality. Like we need to sing these together so that we would not lose hope. When we talk about the reality, like obviously there is pain, there is suffering, there is difficulty. We're reminded of that just as a church family right now as we grieve. And so these psalms have been given for us all as fellow journeyers, sojourners, that we are on our way. And there's this invitation, not simply to check out, but to journey together, to do it in community. And to use these songs, to sing these particular songs as a way to orient us and to help us navigate the treacherous terrain in which we find ourselves. And so this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 121. And so if you got a Bible, please turn there. We want to make our way through this text. As always, you can go to cpwp.life and swipe over until you see the card that says message notes. And there you will find the text this morning, as well as any of the slides that I'm putting up. Uh, you'll find that information there. There's space that you can actually take notes, email it to yourself afterwards if there's things you want to make sure that you don't uh, forget. But I want to go ahead and read Psalm 121. And so I'd encourage you just to to stop whatever it is that's going on right now to try and focus your heart and your attention and allow these words as they're read. The only perfect thing that will happen today is a reading of God's word. Like this is God's infallible, inerrant word, all right? You don't need my thoughts or opinions, all right? We need to hear from God and he has spoken to us through his word. And so church, hear God's word out of Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Church, I wanna invite you right now, let's pray. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds, our hearts, our thinking that transformation might happen. I need this text. I don't, you know, at the end of the day, like if you tune in and it's helpful to you, Amazing, but like I know for me, like I need these words, all right? In this particular year, in this cultural moment, in the suffering and the grieving and stuff that's happening even over the past few days is grieving the loss of a friend, all these things. I need these words and God in his providence has given them to us that we might not just study cognitively, but that we might actually experience the presence of God through his word, the Holy Spirit awakening something in us that God is doing a new work. And so as I put the words on the screen, I invite you, will you pray these aloud with me? Oh Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us grace to receive your truth in faith and love and strength to follow on the path you set before us through Jesus Christ, amen. So we're gonna look at Psalm 121, and as it gets going, the first thing I wanna put before you is the psalmist, as we remember even last week, Psalm 120 was, it's kind of picturing like getting ready for a trip, right? They're getting ready for this road trip and there comes this moment of decision of like, I don't wanna live in this particular way. Like I can either choose to have life go on as it has away from the presence of God, or I can repent and I actually can decide and determine, no, I'm going in a new direction. That's where life is found. And so where we ended last week was the people joining in this song, like, yes, we're going to the house of the Lord. We're going to the place where we get to enjoy the presence of God. There was this very defining moment. And so you can imagine, right, like if you've ever gotten ready for any sort of road trip or uh, you're traveling somewhere, or something you're excited about, like there's enthusiasm. There's, there's some fair bit of stress typically, but like you're ready to head out. And so there can be this joy. There can be, you're imagining like all the amazing things that you're going to do. But as we know in life, right? Like it doesn't take very long until we realize like, oh, the journey's not gonna be as easy as I thought. Perhaps you're somebody, um, as you think back, like maybe you're a follower of Jesus, uh, but maybe you had to deal with some real pain and disillusionment. Maybe not just you had to, like you're dealing with that right now. Maybe what was sold to you was like, you just trust in Jesus and everything's gonna be amazing. Your life, no more issues, no more trials, like that all goes away. Now that friend, I told you that might've been well-intentioned, but they lied to you. The reality is there are problems that come. And so that's what we see right here at the beginning. In verse one, there's these problems, not only does the psalmist face, but we all face. And so look with me at this particular verse. It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. And we'll come back to what that phrase means in a moment. But it says, from where does my help come? So you see the words there. I lift up my eyes to the hills. And the psalmist is asking Where does my help come? It's like he's not very far, the group's not very far into their journey and already there's difficulty. There could be fatigue. There could be things that they would encounter on a journey that were just dangers, that there were robbers and thieves and things that people that that might attack them. There was treacherous terrain, as we even read in the psalm a few verses down. Like there's concerns about just physically, will we hold up? Are we are we gonna stumble? Are we gonna, you know, are we gonna twist our ankle? Are we gonna break our leg? Are we gonna have something happen to us? Are we gonna get dehydrated on the trip? Like the sun just beating down on us? Like there's so many things because. You and I on a road trip, right? Like we're traveling in the comfort of our car with air conditioning working or we're on a plane, whatever that looks like. These people, they're traveling by foot. It's this long journey, but it's this picture. It's a right picture of how life actually is. And so for you and I, let's ask this question, right? Like the psalmist is like, I need some help. And maybe again, there's these sort of I guess false ideas that we believe and it's wishful thinking that we're just thinking oh like maybe everything will go amazing if I just in my five I'm just with Jesus there's no more trouble there's no more pain it sort of raises this question they're like well what did you expect like Jesus hasn't come back yet he's going to that's our hope but the reality is we still live in this time there's this this pain right Even Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 and he's laying out this beautiful account of the resurrection and he speaks of death and he says, oh, death, where is your sting? Well, the reality is in this moment, the sting is right here and right now and it's something that we feel, but what he's ultimately connecting it to is one day death won't have any sting. It won't have the final say that Jesus is the the way, the truth and the life. He's the resurrection and the life. But until that time, When the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven, the reality is we're a people on a journey and it's difficult and it's arduous and there's trials, there's temptations. I mean, just just think for a moment, right? Uh, Think of a a trip maybe that you had planned. I feel like this scenario, like some version of this has played out more times than I care to count. For our family, oftentimes uh, a place to go that we like to travel to is to make the road trip up to the mountains uh, in North Carolina, all right? Uh, Where we can have weather very different than what we get here uh, in Florida. And I think of times in particular when our girls were much younger. and one case in particular, I don't remember. I probably have some of the details wrong. I've got this, like it built up in my head. But like we literally had to drive from our house near Winter Park High School to go down to Loma to get on the 417 to start our trek, right? Um, That should take about 10 minutes. Um, Well, we were pulling out of the driveway. We forgot something. We go back in. Uh, And we get a little further down the road. We realize, oh, there's something else that we forgot. So then we go back. Um, Then I've got to stop because I need some coffee at the Dunkin' Donuts. That's right near the 417. Like we're almost there, right? And so we pull into that parking lot. This is in my days of less pretentious coffee drinking. And so we go through there um, and only to find out like, oh, one of the girls has gotten completely sick and made a complete mess of the back of the van and the, uh, the car seats and all of that. And so we're now at this point, like it's over an hour for us to just start the trip. Like, isn't that how it goes sometimes? Like there's all this excitement and zeal and then just the realities of life just kind of come crashing down on us. Now that is sort of a silly trivial thing There is real pain and there's real sorrow and there's real difficulty. Eugene Peterson in his book, I quoted this last week, it'll be a kind of a great companion for us in this series. A book called The Long Obedience in the Same Direction speaks of it this way. He says, but no sooner have we plunged expectantly and enthusiastically into the river of Christian faith than we get our noses full of water and come up coughing and choking. No sooner do we confidently stride out onto the road of faith Then we trip on an an obstruction and fall to the hard surface, bruising our knees and elbows. For many, the first great surprise of the Christian life is in the form of troubles we meet. Somehow, it is not what we had supposed. We had expected something quite different. We had our minds set on Eden or on New Jerusalem, and we are rudely awakened to something very different, and we look around for help. And so this is the psalmist. Started out zeal, enthusiasm, but the difficulties of life are kinda, the walls are sort of caving in there. The things are closing in and he's feeling that. My guess is most of us feel that right now. Like what has happened in this past year, the difficulties, the uncertainties, and God in his grace has given us this word, this particular text in this moment. So like the psalmist, we can cry out like, where's my help come from? And the Lord provides. And answer, And we see it here in the psalmist that there's a posture that the psalmist has, the one who's singing the song, who's leading this song, and within that particular response and posture, there's a prayer that is offered. Let's so look back, we'll look at verses one to three as we look at a different aspect of verse one. And so, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? Now, I told you we were gonna come back to like, hey, what does he actually mean when he says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Well, certainly there were actual, like the topography of that area, all right, on this journey to Jerusalem, even Jerusalem being set up higher. There there were mountains, all right, there were hills to climb, it made it difficult, all right, certainly beautiful, but it makes it difficult. And so there's this question here, like, where are you looking for help? Like, because Clearly, we all need it. And what is happening here is there's this temptation. And so we got to understand a bit of cultural background and history to know what actually is being spoken of here because it's more than simply um, looking out over the grandeur of the mountains and saying, oh, wow, that's a good reminder. Like I'll look to to the hills and that'll kind of encourage me in its beauty, although there's truth in that. The reality of things for the people of God is that in the surrounding areas, all right, the... Worship of false gods, the pagan rituals, the surrounding you know neighbors, the other uh, the other peoples groups that that weren't part of the Jewish people, part of God's people, would have all sorts of rituals and sacrifices and all sorts of. Uh, behavior that did not honor, does not honor the one true God. And what they would do is they would go up on the hills and there they would build particular altars and they would make sacrifices and they would engage in all sorts of uh, uh, practices that were they're just this abomination to the Lord. And what it would be for, oftentimes for the people of Israel, there was this temptation. Like you studied their history the walk with God for a while, and then it's like, ooh, well, there's this thing calling off. It's like, well, maybe Baal has the answer. Maybe I need to go there. Maybe this God, particular God that's over the weather, I need to go and make sacrifices there. This God that's over relationships or this God that is over us, like, like fertility. I mean, all of these things. And so what the psalmist is referring to here is like, do I actually look to the hills? Like, is that what I'm supposed to do? I lift up my eyes to the hills. And it's this way of saying, that's not where life is found. A way to think about it is the hills, they're not our hope. Healing does not come from all of these other things. There were a temptation to believe these kind of lies, these other narratives. Now, we might look at that and say, okay, on our journey, well, that was way back then. We don't encounter those sort of things. It's rare that I walk past something where there's like this altar and people are sacrificing to these supposed gods. Like we live in a much more sophisticated time. But do we? It looks different. The forms look different. But the great temptation for you and I on this journey to enjoy the presence of God, to follow Jesus, the reality is there are hills that you and I encounter that are continually crying out to us. Perhaps it's a hill of religion. It's like you believe, okay, yes, I know Jesus died for me, but like I I need to kind of keep up. I've got this list of rules and regulations and you end up in this legalistic spot. That's a particular hill. You've got to make sure you do all the right things for God to love you. That is a hill that cries out to us, but it is a lie that will not bring life. We can go on and on. For some, it's like, hey, if I just have this particular career, if I could get this job or if I could have this influence or this power or be known in a certain way, and what do we do? There's an altar and we sacrifice relationships, we sacrifice our children, our spouse, our friends, all in the name of career advancement, so that we can get that power, we can get that influence, maybe we can get that particular money to get that particular home, to get that particular trip, to get whatever it is thinking that thing will satisfy. We make sacrifices to get the approval of other people. And so we never actually say no. We, we choose to just say yes to everything in hopes that people will like us and pat us on the back and encourage us. And all the while our soul is sort of withering up and dying. It is a hill that beckons us and it calls out to us like this siren and it will lead to our lives crashing on the rocks. So it can be your appearance. Is it good to steward well your body? Yes, and amen to all that. But how easy is it to become enslaved or we sacrifice just to make sure that we look a particular way? Is it good to steward your mind and to do well in school if that's your calling right now? Yes, it is. But you are defined by more than simply your grades. We could go on and on and on. So follower of Jesus, let me put before you, we live in a time that looks more sophisticated, but at the core, the hills still cry out. And so we have to ask. I look, I lift up my eyes to the hills, like I'm in need of help. Is that thing gonna satisfy? And the resounding answer over and over and over again that is hard to get through my thick skull is Jesus is the only one that satisfies. I could get everything that I could possibly desire, but if I don't have Jesus, it actually will not satisfy. And the lie of the enemy is like, just get a little bit more of what you already have. And that next thing, just around the corner, just a little bit more, is somehow gonna bring joy and satisfaction. The prophet Jeremiah speaks of this. In Jeremiah 3, I'm gonna read the NIV version because it's a little more family friendly. But if you wanna go read the ESV version, you can look that up. It's a bit more graphic in its depiction. It says this in regards to the hills. Surely the idolatrous commotion on the hills and mountains is a deception. Surely in the Lord, our God is the salvation of Israel. The prophet saying, what happens on those hills is no way to live. And so from there, we get into verse two. And so the psalmist, as he's crying out, says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And so now we're beginning to turn this corner. There's difficulty, we're not denying that. It's not a call to like stick our head in the sand and be like, no, 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 I don't, I don't hear any of the pain or suffering, like we feel it. It's real. It's around us, we're experiencing it, your neighbors, your family members, your friends. What are we supposed to do? And the psalmist says, my help comes from the covenant-making, covenant-keeping Lord, the one who invites me into his presence. The one, it says in verse two, who made heaven and earth not these silly little impotent gods there up on the hills that are no gods at all. There's the one true God and he has made everything. He is sovereign. So when you look to the hills, don't look to the altars, don't look to that, look around and just be astounded by how large and majestic and transcendent and to think, wow, this place, the Lord has made that. And we're just one small little blip on the cosmic, like on the, in the larger galaxy and beyond. There's a writer by the name of uh, N.D. Wilson. He wrote a book several years ago called Death by Living. And I love in a sort of comical, poetic sort of way, he's helping us see the one who made heaven and earth. Like this is what I need to be reminded of when I start to get anxious and I start to get discouraged. It's not to say that there's not space for healthy lament and crying out, because there is. But I also need to remember that God is sovereign that anything that you and I are experiencing, like God has complete control over. So he says this in this book, Death by Living. He said this, the world is big, yes, but God is bigger. And yes, your life is a story, but you are carpet dwelling dust mite teensy on the scale of this stage. And number only one in the multitude of his cast. Your world is tiny, yes, but God gets tinier. Not one dust mite falls through the carpet fibers and into the pad apart from your father. He's big enough that small doesn't matter. And he continues, he says, so when one is infinite, one can enjoy two black holes arm wrestling over a galactic snack and an uncoordinated junior high quarterback struggling to escape an overweight junior high defensive end. Infinite goes all the way up and all the way down and at every level with equal attention. He creates with the full dose of his personality. How amazing is that? Like this picture of just like, he's sovereign over, as it even said there, like two black holes just sort of duking it out. The Lord's like, eh, whatever, right? Like, I think that I'm a big deal sometimes and like all these things that are happening, like this is really, really important. It's not to knock that, but it's also helpful sometimes, as he said, to come back and be like, I'm a carpet dwelling dust mite, teensy little object person. Yes, made in the image and likeness of God, right? Full of worth, value, and dignity. And also, I'm not that big of a deal, right? And that's a helpful perspective to have. And then verse three, the psalmist, what happens here? So there's this posture. Will we remember? Will we remember who we are and who God is? And then verse three is written a bit more in this translation as a declarative statement, but it's really an intro into the remaining verses. Really what you have here is a prayer. And so verse three says this, He will not let your foot be moved. But the line, the the understanding here is, may my foot not be moved, Lord. And then he who keeps you will not sleep. And may, Lord, may you not fall asleep. May you watch over me. I need that to be true. And so as we look at these concluding verses then, recognizing there's problems in this world, there's difficulties, there's suffering. What's your posture? Where are you turning? What are you looking to? Are you remembering the grandness and the bigness of God? Is your attention going there? Or are we just getting so consumed, so much navel gazing, just getting so focused on just our tiny little world? The Lord's inviting us to see the bigger story, this epic narrative that we're part of. And the Lord in His kindness and grace, as this prayer is offered, begins now, what ends up happening, is you've got the psalmist writing and now it's like this kind of call and response. And some uh, commentators and theologians think this would have been like, there's these questions that are posed, all right? And then these words would be sung back as a way to just reinforce and to remind all of us who the Lord actually is. So I just wanna spend the last few minutes just looking at verses four to eight and allow these words, what is this song, to be sung over us by the Lord himself, to remind us of the truth of who he is, that he is our protector. Look at how many times in these verses the Lord has spoken of as our guardian, as our keeper. I can get so consumed with who I am, and yet when I look through these particular verses... He will, he will not. He who keeps, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade. The Lord will keep, the Lord will keep. I mean, there's like this resounding sort of refrain of like, don't forget who God is. And so let's look, the protector that we have. In the midst of the pain and the trials, it's so helpful to be able to come back to this. And so we see in verse four, after there's been this prayer like, Lord, like, please don't allow my foot to slip. Lord, please Please don't fall asleep on the job. Like, I need your help. Verse four says this, behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The language there, he who keeps Israel, not just he who keeps you or me, like literally this entire, all the people of God, like he holds you, he keeps you, he guards you, like that is true for the people back then. And even more true for us right now who know what Jesus has secured for us, that there's an inheritance that he's guarding for us right now. It says, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Not gonna nod off. He's not gonna like, oh, oh, hey, oh, sorry, I'm awake. I'm good. None of that. Like you think for a moment, all right? Because here's, here's the reality. Like we can sometimes, I know I can get consumed by not only situations, but even particular people, right? And there can be interactions and there things and somebody might be intimidating to us. Somebody might feel like that, man, that person's got a lot of power and influence, all right? Like you just wonder like what that person's life is like and maybe you haven't imagined a certain way and maybe you're in awe of who they are. It's helpful to remember this though, no matter how powerful, no, no matter how much money, no matter how much influence, no matter how outspoken they happen to be or whatever that looks like, Every single night, that person goes into the most vulnerable state, lays their head down on a pillow, maybe a little drool starts coming out of their mouth, their hair gets a little messed up, their breath gets really stinky and bad, right? Like this happens to everybody, but not our God. He is never in that state of vulnerability. He is never asleep on the job. Like he does not slumber, he does not sleep. And so even the most powerful, influential people in the world eventually have to lay their head down on the pillow and are just in that state, not our God. He watches over you and me. And then the psalmist continues in verses five to six, the Lord, again, is your keeper. This covenant making, covenant keeping, this is the name, the Lord. He is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. So the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. This is a very specific promise here of both the, recognizing the geography, the topography of the journey that they're on. And so for those that were traveling and when they were traveling through the particular valleys and up making their way up the hills to Jerusalem in the midday, the mid afternoon he what the psalmist is saying is the Lord will be like this tall being walking next to you to provide shade so that you don't dehydrate, so you don't collapse, so that you can actually make it. It's this promise of the presence of God. And so whatever you and I are dealing with right now, whatever we will deal with in the future, the Lord is by your side. What an amazing promise. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. So the sun, it will not strike you by day. And people wonder even like, by the moon, by, by night. Now, we may not be particularly concerned about you know, the light given off by the moon, but for the people back then, there were a lot of associations, a lot of thoughts of like evil things that could happen. It was even believed that too much exposure to the moonlight would cause a person to go crazy. That's where we get the word lunacy or lunatic, like this lunar impact that could happen. And the psalmist is reminding us, the Lord's got you. He's with you. He's with you in the journey. Verse seven to eight, it says, the Lord then will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Now I look at that concluding promise and there's a lot of specificity in verses four, five, and six, but when we get to seven and eight, it's almost like just kind of backing up and saying, regardless of what you encounter, The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. He'll keep your going out and your coming in like literally all of your days. And so there's this tension though, isn't there? Like, okay, that that sounds amazing. But what does he mean the Lord will keep your life when we know people that die? And we know that like, I'm going to die and you're going to die. And that, that's the reality of things. Like, What does that actually mean? And we know that there is evil that is present in our day and our age. We don't have to go very far. Just turn on the news, all right? Open an app on, on your phone or just talk to another human being, all right? And let them see a little bit of your heart and what they'll see and what they'll see in my heart. Oh yeah, evil exists, right? Like if there. so what does this mean? He'll keep you from all evil, is it this just sort of naive, like people that are like, oh yeah, Christianity, you know, um, it's just this little opiate that will kind of help you get through the difficulties of life? And if not for the story of Jesus, I would probably be inclined, more than probably, I would be inclined to be like, that sounds good, but it's not going to cut it. Because there's a lot of evil and there's a lot of difficulty. There's a lot of things that don't make sense. And to uh, be honest, like, I'm really ticked off about it sometimes. And I imagine you are as well. Like, what do we do with this? And so let's see though, in the story of Jesus, what what we have, what we get invited into is not a God that's indifferent, but a God that gives us everything, that deals with evil, that takes all evil and sin and suffering upon himself so that you and I can one day be free from all of that. And so God would agree, yes, right now, it doesn't feel like we, we experience the reality of evil. There still is brokenness, but that's not ultimately where the story is heading. Maybe a way to think about this is like, how do you tell the story of the Christian's journey? All right, like you as a follower of Jesus, like what story are you prone to tell? And I am prone at times to focus on, well, this happened and this difficulty, and can you believe this? And as I said, there's freedom to lament, certainly. But this Psalm reminds us that the focus of the story, what has always been true from the beginning to the end and forevermore, it's been a story of God and his redemption, his his work to redeem us, to renew all things. Eugene Peterson, again, his book said it this way in light of this, this is so key because the active agent in this, the focus, the subject of this particular Psalm, it is not your trial, it's not my trial and suffering as real as that is. The focus is on God and his work and what he's doing and how he's alongside of us and he's compassionate and he's weeping with those who weep and he's bringing comfort and he has not left us. He will never forsake us. Even when we wander off, he is the one who goes after the lost sheep and brings it back and there's this rejoicing. So Eugene Peterson says this, here's the story. Do you think the way to tell the story of the Christian journey is to describe its trials and tribulations? It is not. It is not. It is to name and to describe God who preserves, accompanies, and rules us. It is to name and to describe God who preserves, accompanies, and rules us. So yes, so much difficulty. But our invitation is to turn and to see so let's close with these words here. This is why the Apostle Paul would write in the book of Romans, in this letter, in dealing with just this recognition. It's earlier in the chapter, in chapter, Romans chapter eight, that he talks about this, this groaning, the pain that still exists. But because we know the story of Jesus, we know that, that God has not given up on us or this world, that he's going to renew all things and that he is with us. In those times when we doubt, when we wonder and we're tempted to go to the hills and try and find our hope and our healing there, what we're invited into is to see, oh, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, his ascension. Like It's not a bad thing when Eugene Peterson says, that he's, Peterson says he's ruling over us. Most of the time we were kind of like, we cringe at that. But everybody's serving somebody and you can either serve a false God that will bring more pain and anxiety and suffering, or you can serve the God of the universe, the one whose presence you were made for. And so look at these words, Romans 8. Let these just sort of wash over you. What then shall we say to these things? He's speaking of difficulty in life. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all Do you know that? You have to look no further than the cross of Christ. Jesus, the, the Father, did not spare his own son in order to get you back, in order to redeem all things. And so, yes, there's pain and there is difficulty, but our Lord has entered in and he has paid the ultimate price so that we can be brought into the family, so we can have one who would journey with us, who is going to get us home, that God is with us and that he is for us. He continues, he says this, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Isn't there that voice that's continually trying to speak about like all, your in, like all your inadequacies, your inefficiencies, all your sin that you still struggle with. There's this enemy that's like trying to say, you're not worthy of being loved. Well, look at the answer here. Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And so in those moments when the lies come up and you believe the journey's too much or that you're gonna be like overtaken and overwhelmed or you doubt that God loves for you or you feel the sin and the shame and all of that, here's the answer. It's so amazing. Like you're not gonna stand condemned because Jesus was condemned in your place and in my place. Not only that, he was raised and now he's at the right hand of God. And guess what he's doing right in this moment with all that's going on in your life and in my life, he is interceding for you. And he's not gonna take a break and he's not gonna take a nap. He's not gonna get worn out or tired and fall asleep. He is doing it forever until he sets everything right. It continues, who shall separate us then from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger? or sword or to add our own or 2020, right? As it is written, and what he's saying here as he continues is he says, it's a line that recognizes there is gonna be pain. So he says, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Like that's painful, all right? There's difficulty. It's an acknowledgement of that, but look where it continues. But no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor the things present, nor the things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is good news. That is Paul being like, I got to just stack this like one phrase after another, just to pile up and to try and convince all of us through the power of the spirit, like God has you. He is with you. None of this stuff is going to overcome. He has a plan and he is with us. And so as we continue in our service, I'll close with this. Will you and I allow truth to be our guide? I am tempted to allow my feelings, my emotions, my fears to guide the day. This reminds me, Psalm 121 reminds me, that the song we're invited to sing is the one of God, who is the maker of heaven and earth, the one who keeps, the one who guards, the one who gave his son for us. And he's right now, he's ruling and reigning, he's interceding for us, he is involved, he is not distant, he cares deeply. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in light of this said this, but to deviate from the truth for the sake of some prospect of hope of our own can never be wise. However slight that deviation may be, it is not our judgment of the situation which can show us what is wise, but only the truth of the word of God. Here alone lies the promise of God's faithfulness and help. It will always be true that the wisest course for the disciple is always to abide solely by the word of God in all its simplicity. Church, let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's ask the spirit to keep us, to walk with us. We know that that's true. Let's thank him for the presence. Thank you. Let's thank God that we're part of this story. The life, death and resurrection, the ultimate return of King Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, give you praise for who you are, for your kindness, your mercies that are new each and every day. We thank you that you invite us to cry out to you, to not be fake about just the pain and the emotions, that we can be real, we can be raw about that, but ultimately as well, that we can be reminded afresh and anew that God, you are with us. He who did not spare his own son. We thank you for that sacrifice, Jesus. We thank you that you took all of our sin, our shame and our brokenness, The wrath that should have been poured out on us, the wrath that should have been poured out on me, for my rebellion against the one true God and King, to look into the other hills. Jesus, you died in my place. So give you praise for that. I thank you for the reality, even in this time, in this season, in particularly acute, painful ways where we are grieving right now. I thank you that grief and sorrow does not have the final say. I thank you that. The end of the story wasn't a bloody Roman cross but an empty tomb and then the ascension of the resurrected king who one day will return. And so we cling to that promise. Help us to believe, Spirit. There are times when we doubt, so help our unbelief. Thank you that you are with us. As we continue to worship you now through song, God, I pray that you would get the glory and the honor that is due your name and that we would experience a deep and abiding joy as we worship you. We pray these things in Jesus' good name, amen.